Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We're talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. We love connecting with our listeners. Excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat. We love connecting with our listeners. Connect with us on Twitter at Lisa Kamen and HH underscore talk radio and like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. We are talking about a subject today that is near and dear to my heart, Um, not by choice at first, but now definitely by choice. We're talking about the value of experiences over material objects. The, the value of acquiring memories and creating memories and adventure versus buying stuff. And my guest, Amit Kumar, is a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. Dr. Kumar received his PhD from the Department of Psychology at Cornell University, where he investigated topics related to money and happiness, judgment and decision-making, and consumer behavior. Before that, he received his A.B. in psychology and economics from Harvard University, and I think that was a typo, B.A., right? Uh, at Harvard, they're a little pretentious. They actually call it an AB, but it is a bachelor's degree. Oh, well, I, this is good. We're just going to leave this as is, Eric, because that's kind of funny. <clears throat> so Dr. Kumar conducted a number of published studies examining experiential and material consumption. That is on the benefits of spending on doing rather than on having. He enjoys justifying the money he spends on meals, live music, travel, and theater through rigorous scientific research. I love this. Amit, thank you. Thanks for for proving it to us. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, let's talk about this because I am a survivor of the recession, as are most of us who are listening, Um, and it rocked my world. 
wreaking economic fiscal havoc, let's say, on my household, and I am now a complete convert. <laughs> yeah, well, people have limited discretionary income, so I think it's uh, increasingly important uh, for them to know sort of what they might spend their money on that's, that's going to make them happier. I think that's why people are spending their money in the first place. And, and let's talk about what do people like to spend their money on experientially now that may have differed, let's say, than 10 years ago? Uh, well, in our work, it's it's not uh, it's not so much a, a time difference. Um, so it's the same sorts of things that are people that are that's that are bringing happiness to people. Um, it's just that they're investing more in those sorts of things. So so let me back up for just a second. Um, so in our studies, we find that people essentially derive more satisfaction from experiential purchases. So from uh, vacations, meals out, uh, tickets to concerts to movies, um, sporting events, uh, than they do for material purchases. Uh, so clothing, jewelry, furniture, uh, gadgets, and so on. Um, and this hedonic value that people get from consuming experiences rather than possession seems to extend across a, a pretty, pretty broad time course. So people are happier when they're later act, asked to reflect on these sorts of purchases, the experiences they've bought, um, the trips they've taken, the events they've attended, the meals they've eaten, uh, than when they reflect on significant material goods they've purchased. Well, I can um, speak from my own experience as a formal retail therapist. That when I used to buy a great pair of heels, I would get a spike in my mood that would last maybe an hour or two. And then after it would be business as usual. However, when I would create an experience or buy an adventure that allowed memory making to happen, it was the storytelling, the retelling of the adventure that would also keep the mood elevated or be able to rekindle that positive mood. Yeah, indeed. So we've shown that one reason that people derive greater satisfaction from their experiences than from uh, the material goods they buy is because experiential purchases are more likely to be talked about than material purchases. So experiences just make for better story material, um, and they're therefore more likely to be uh, discussed with others. Um, I think you bring up a good point, though, about um, sort of People do get sort of initial enjoyment from some of their material possessions, but this is related to, I think, a mistake that people often make. They think that if I buy, you know, the new pair of shoes, that makes me happy right away, and I'm going to have those shoes uh, for a long time. Um, but it turns out that the happiness that people get from uh, material possessions tends to be sort of fleeting. Um, this is ironic or surprising to some uh, because... Things like vacations, you know, they only last for um, a few days, whereas your shoes might last for a few years um, in, a, in a sort of physical sense. Psychologically, it's, it's the opposite, though. Um, our experiences live on in, in our memories and in, in the stories that we tell about them. In the, in the recent paper published in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin, you um, or there, there's conversation about just what we're saying about experiential purchases provide more story more storytelling value than they do material goods, and that people are talking about their experiences. And is that because there's that the connectivity factor is that part of the element that makes this of more lasting value? 
Uh, I think there are a lot of a lot of reasons for why that happens. So one is that our experiences tend to be sort of a bigger part of our identity. So our sense of of who we think we are, um, our experiences make up a larger part of that than than do our material goods. Um, I think in terms of what makes a good story, you know. Uh, Aristotle, who's a lot smarter than I ever will be, uh, said a, a, good, a good story kind of needs a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, and an experience fits those criteria. Uh, it's a lot harder to figure out what to talk about when you're talking about your material goods. Um, maybe you can for a little bit, um, but those aren't the things that people sort of talk about. So uh, in one study in that paper that you brought up, for instance, we asked participants about uh, a significant experiential purchase they had made or a significant uh, material purchase they had bought. Um, and then we asked them some questions about how much they had talked about the purchase they just recalled, how likely they were to talk about it in the future, um, and then some questions about how happy the purchase made them. Um, and in our analyses, uh, we found that experiential purchases made people happier than material goods. Uh, and this was explained by the fact that experiences provided them with, with greater conversational value. Um, so experiential consumption, part of the reason it's making people happy is because it's, it's providing fodder for social interaction. Um, and purchases that foster our social relationships, um, they're much more likely to bring us longer lasting, uh, more enduring happiness than those that don't. And when we talk about, you know, the sense of keeping up with the Joneses, that social comparison is really a happiness killer, you know, uh, I think one of the values of optimizing experience is that it, your experience is unimpeachable. You know, you're, what are you comparing yourself to? It's, it's your experience. Yeah, so studies, studies have also found that experiential purchases are kind of um, less susceptible to these problematic comparisons. So as you alluded to, social comparison is, is, is indeed an important facet of happiness. Um, so one would be wise to kind of try to minimize the potentially um, deflating comparisons they might be exposed to. When people buy possessions, um, they're often peeved to find out that someone else has uh, a nicer TV than they do or um, a fancier wardrobe. Uh, and it can be similarly annoying to find out that that someone who has the same gadget that you do paid uh, substantially less for it. These kinds of destructive comparisons are actually um, far less common for purchases uh, like trips and, and meals out. So even if you find out that somebody might have had you know, a slightly better vacation than you did or, or something like that, uh, it's not like you would want to trade your trip for theirs. Your trip is, is sort of uniquely yours. You wouldn't want a different one. Um, you want your trip to the mountains, uh, to the jungles, to the beaches, with all of its sort of um, unique idiosyncrasies, uh, not somebody else's. And what about experiential purchases providing more social value? You touched upon that prior, but let's talk a little bit, a more, a bit, little bit more about that. Yeah, so I've done a lot of work in that area. Um, so part of the, one of the main reasons that people derive greater um, and sort of more enduring satisfaction from experiences uh, is is because they're more broadly social in in nature. Um, so, in some sense, that's obvious. When we do things, we often do them with other people. So, the fact that we're actually spending time with other people um, that's going to make us a lot happier than if we're doing things um, in isolation. Um, 
positive social relationships are sort of one thing that we know as scientists to be um, essential to human happiness. But beyond the sort of sociality of the experience itself, um, as we talked about earlier, experiences are also talked about more than possessions. Um, so this is another way in which people are connecting with other people through um, through the, th the the experiences they've bought. Um, it's harder to connect with other people um, via sort of the, the material goods, the stuff that you buy. We are going to take a brief break, but before we do, I just want to throw out there the concept of strengthening relationships in the storytelling. In other words, we go out and we do our day and we live all kinds of experiences when we, when we run the course of the day. And in the coming home and sharing of the experience with our partners, with our children, with our colleagues, families, and friends, we tend to s strengthen those relationships when we share those adventures. So just hang on to that thought because I want to come back to it because it's, it's kind of important, I think. Um, and we'll take the break. But before we go there, I want to give our listeners some contact information for you to learn more about the work of Dr. Amit Kumar. Please visit www.kumar, and that's K-U-M-A-R hyphen A-M-I-T dot com. Again, www.kumar hyphen Amit Dot com. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on addiction, an integrated journey to wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the value of experience over acquisition. With Dr. Amit Kumar, we are carrying on the discussion about 
how experiences, how buying experience or creating experience and, 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 and memory enhances our well-being, enhances our relationships, and I dare say even strengthens our most intimate relationships with people because we have something good to share. Yeah, so so building social relationships is a, is a sort of fundamental human need, um, and that's something that um, we know is is one of one of the things that's a great predictor of how happy uh, someone's going to be is whether they have um, sort of positive uh, social relationships in their lives. Um, another thing that I think you're you're sort of alluding to is is what happens when we talk about these experiences um, with other people. And there's there's lots of good evidence out there um, suggesting that when we share good news, when we when we talk about positive events we actually get even more positivity from those events than when we haven't shared them at all. Um, I think another interesting thing to think about is what about negative events? There's experiences that we have um, that don't turn out as great as we thought they would, um, something like that. Um, and there's an interesting thing that might happen by virtue of the fact that people are telling stories about these experiences to other people. So. Um, and another difference between experiential and material purchases is that possessions kind of stay in one's possession. Experiences, though, kind of only exist in the mind as mental representations. So this allows people um, to kind of reframe them or, or think about them in a different light after the fact, maybe reconstruct them uh, in a more positive light. Um, so one of the reasons that talking about experiences uh, might be important is because storytelling kind of affords people the opportunity to do this sort of reconstruction. Fascinating. And and I would also think that in the storytelling, in the sharing of the event and the feelings that surrounded the events and sort of the blow-by-blow -blow report, that it allows the listener to walk in the shoes of another, which um, elevates empathy or stimulates empathy, which in turn contributes to elevated well-being. Yeah, so in some of our studies, we, f we found that, you know, for instance, if somebody finds out um, that they've had the same experience as you, they end up feeling more similar to you, more, uh, more feelings of kinship towards you, uh, more social connection towards you. Um, and fostering social connection tends to be very important because it, it does lead to uh, acts of, of sort of pro-social behavior. So people, when they feel more connected to other humans to kind of um, people in general, humanity writ large, um, they they also donate more to other people. They behave more generously or, or altruistically. Um, there is a forthcoming paper in the Journal of Consumer Psychology that talks about the value and, I dare say, deliciousness of anticipation. Yeah, so experiences don't just make us happy while we're experiencing them or just when we're telling stories about them after the fact, um, but also before we even uh, hop on the plane or, or lay in the sand or, or put on our hiking boots. Um, so in some studies uh, that I've conducted, we found that experiences are more rewarding than possessions in anticipation as well. Um, so this anticipatory period tends to be more pleasant, uh, more exciting, less tinged with impatience for experiential purchases uh, we're looking forward to um, relative to future material purchases we're planning on making. Um, and, and one thing that happens is people often delay their consumption of certain experiences. 
So essentially, they get to kind of take advantage of this relatively more exciting anticipatory period. You get to savor um, your future consumption. Think about how great an experience is going to be, um, and that tends to make people feel good. So it, it, it helps us slow down a bit and be more contemplative in our approach to, to living, would you say? Uh, I think it's a, it's a type of reflection that, um, that tends to be positive. So we also sometimes think about the things or the stuff that we're going to buy. But the way that we think about that tends to be tinged with um, some negativity or some, some impatience. Um, when it comes to, to experiences that we're looking forward to, um, you know, we make restaurant reservations in advance. We, we buy tickets to shows beforehand. We start planning our vacation weeks ahead of time. Um, and this, I think this allows for people to sort of have extra time to imagine um, and to talk about, uh, sort of to talk to other people about um, the different foods that they might eat or the, the songs the band is going to play or, or the feeling of um, the sand between their toes. It's sort of a, a type of daydreaming that tends to be positive as opposed to uh, a type of, uh, of daydreaming that tends to be sort of, you know, more what people think about when they think about waiting being kind of unpleasant. We're talking about how um, experience plays out for the individual. How about when we broaden the net and we talk about how it, the structure of experience works in communities, how it could work in government, for example, as well? Yeah, so the research that, that we've been talking about, I think it makes it clear that it's a, it's a pretty good idea for people to shift some of their investments um, away from material consumption and towards experiential consumption because they're likely to be happier as a result. Um, but if it's wise for individuals to do this, I think it, it could be similarly wise for communities, um, for governments to sort of encourage this as well. So society, I think, um, sh does and should care about how happy people are. Um, and there's certain policies that could steer people towards the kinds of experiential pursuits that promote well-being. Um, so people can't can't bike or hike or swim or, or take in a show without um, sort of a civic infrastructure that allows them to do so. So investment in, um, in trails and, and parks and beaches and performance spaces, um, greater sort of funding for the arts, uh, those kinds of things might make people more likely to partake in the experiential consumption that we know is likely to make them happier. And when we look at the effect of positive emotion or happiness, and I'm using happiness in, in the air quotes, and how it affects us, um, our health mentally, physically, and spiritually, we're actually investing in the overall greater health of people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And there's lots of scientific evidence that, that backs that up, that people are... Um, end up being healthier, mortality rates are lower when they're happier. Um, it's, a, it's an important thing for people um, to be spending their time thinking about, I think. And no, go ahead. I, I, I cut you off, so you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and I think people do it all the time. I mean, that's one of the, the biggest questions in people's lives is, is, what is the good life? How do I live it? Um, one answer that we've gotten is, is one that involves sort of uh, – investing a little less in stuff and investing more in the kinds of things that um, allow you to kind of 
build up this concept of, of who it is you are. Experiences do just that. And also in the experience, because we know that life doesn't always run smoothly, there will be um, challenges. There will be things that don't work out as well as we had planned. But that is part of the adventure. That is part of the experience. And in the retelling of that or the reliving of the memory, my guess and my own experience is, is that I've raised my own ability to tolerate distress. I've raised my grittiness, my resiliency. When I'm able to reflect back on those moments and say, you know, it wasn't always easy, but it was this, and this is what I've learned, and this is what's cool that came out of this experience. Yeah, I think talking allows people to do that with their experiences. So I'll bring up um, one study that other researchers conducted a long time ago. Uh, seems not quite as serious as talking to your kids, but uh, in this study, um, researchers measured feelings that that, that participants had during this three-week uh, bicycle trip across the country. And some of the moments of that trip just weren't that great in the moment. So um, cyclists had to suffer through a downpour, for example, but when the riders were were sort of recalling these kinds of moments after the ride was over, they tend to say stuff along the lines of, well, maybe it was good that it rained. They think about sort of the reasons why that might have been a good thing. And I think it's easy for all of us to recall, um, to sort of bring to mind instances where, uh, you know, a seemingly disappointing vacation or something like that was was transformed into this this family bonding experience once we've weaved it into narrative. So, you know, if you go on a beach vacation where it ends up being rainy all of the time, um, this isn't, you know, this isn't what people expect or envision when they're, when they're booking their trip to Puerto Rico. Uh, but <laughs> with, a, with a great many experiences, I think it's pretty easy for people to, to find the silver lining and, silver lining and um, staying in and, and playing cards with your family or, or with the people that you haven't had a chance to see in a while. You can sort of find the positives in, in even in negative experiences. Many years ago, um, I took my children on a road trip and camping. Now, my kids are, are city kids, and they didn't really know from road trips or camping trips. And they went along kicking and screaming, and I took them rafting on a, on a river in, in um, Utah. And when we got there, the kids are really whiny about this whole thing because I took away their phones. And I said, you know what? We're lucky that we can even go on a vacation because it was during a very financially stressful time. Years later, my, my eldest is in college. The recollection of that trip was life-altering for both of those kids who have said that now they will take their own children camping because it created a memory and a moment in their life that they could not buy. <laughs> Yeah, that resonates with with much of the the research that I've done, and it speaks to some of these. You know, there's under underlying sort of psychological reasons for why experiences make people happy, and I think what's interesting is that these different kind of mechanisms work in in concert with one another in a in sort of often in a mutually reinforcing way. So when we when we talk to each other about those experiences um, that that sort of reflect this sense of identity we have. Um, these purchases also end up becoming even larger parts of our identity. So um, I think there's there's a lot to be gained from from those sorts of adventures that you're referring to. 
Well, we are out of time, and I want to thank you, Dr. Amit Kumar, for sharing your research, sharing your smile, which is palpable through the airwaves to me, um, <laughs> and, and, and making my day with this experience. To learn more, please visit www.kumar, and that's K-U-M-A-R hyphen Amit, A-M-I-T dot com. Again, www.kumar hyphen A-M-I-T Com. And thank you for being with us and um, sharing some joyful time with me. Thanks a lot for having me. Pleasure. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking, or we were talking about in the first half of the show, experience over materials. In other words, you know, that we, that we buy experience or create experience in our lives to generate more happiness versus putting it in a shopping bag and buying it in a store. And now we're talking about another aspect of harvesting happiness in a way that I believe is creating an incredible opportunity for people around the world to become sightless, sightless entrepreneurs or suitcase entrepreneurs, as my next guest has coined the phrase. Natalie Sisson 
is a number one best-selling author, podcaster, speaker, and adventurer who believes everybody has the right to choose freedom in business and adventure in life. She's on a mission to ensure 1 million plus entrepreneurs do just that by the year 2020 over at thesuitcaseentrepreneur.com. Natalie was born in New Zealand, and she's built her multiple six-figure business from her laptop over the last five years while living out of her suitcase, traveling to 70 countries, and showing others how to build a profitable online freedom business that supports their ideal lifestyle through her Definitive Freedom Plan program. Welcome, Natalie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is a great pleasure because it took us a while to chase down (laughs) the right kind of guests because I know I I knew you were out there. I know that people like you exist because I am part of some of these global communities such as Elance, Upwork, Odesk that I call upon to support our business over here at Harvesting Happiness. And I know from my own experience with building the show and building a coaching practice from a sightless model that this is the wave of the future. Tell us a little bit about how you run your business and and, and how it supports your dream lifestyle. Yeah, well, so for the last five and a half years, I've basically had a business that I can run from my laptop or if I'm really smart, from my smartphone. And that was really important to me so that I could move around the world, travel and have adventures and still have a business that was working, hopefully, in the background and that came with me. So I worked pretty hard to set that up because, as you can imagine, a lot of people with brick-and-mortar businesses think that sounds like the dream. Um, But there's a lot of systems to set up and, as you say, using things like Upwork to hire and build a team that crosses multiple time zones so that you can be kind of online 24-7 without actually having to be yourself online for that time. So that's essentially what I've been working on for the last five and a half years, and I love it. And what kinds of interests and skill set do you bring to this digitally nomadic lifestyle? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I have eight over eight years experience in the corporate world. So I took a whole lot of that experience in marketing, brand management, event management, and later in business development. And then I created and co-founded a technology company, which was my first foray into entrepreneurship world. So I think that was building a Facebook app um, using social media to gain an audience and build customer base. And so I took all that experience from the corporate and that into my own business, uh, which is essentially teaching people how to build a business online that they can take anywhere and what I really do is I tell people I sell freedom because at the end of the day I'm passionate (laughs) about people having a a lifestyle that they love supported by a business that totally fits with them Um, and that's what I've always been after so I think that's the beauty of what I do and what I think my unique skill set is. I live and breathe this way of life. And so it's been much easier for me to come from a point of view of, you know, traveling the world and all the pros and cons that come with that. It's not always beautiful. I mean, most of the time it's amazing. And now being back in Wellington, actually setting up what I call my freedom headquarters has been a totally different shift and change to see how that works for people who live you know, and want to be in one place, but have the freedom to have their own schedule each day and maybe work a midweek weekend and not work at all in the afternoon or, you know, have more time for their friends and family. 
And this truly is an ideal. And I can speak for myself and my own goals and how I've worked the business of harvesting happiness is to create this model where one can be sightless. And this is fabulous for people that have portfolio careers. And I know this is a a catchphrase that's very popular right now. You have people that have had a vast amount of experience in many areas that can then in turn offer these skill sets to others. And what you have is this fabulous synergistic way of doing business and moreover doing life. Absolutely. And it's interesting you call it sightless. I kind of like that. Maybe I can change suitcase to sightless entrepreneur. Um, But I love my brand too much. But another word that gets bandied around a lot or words is location independence. So the thing with that is most people think you always have to be traveling. But what I see from my community is that 60 to 70% of people who are in the suitcase entrepreneur community actually just want more freedom in their hometown. So as I said before, just to be able to work from home, but to choose their own hours, to choose what they work on, when they work on it, to take holidays when they want. And I think that's the beauty of what we're talking about here. So having the flexibility to be able to work from anywhere and choose where that work is being done. I agree. Let's break down the moniker digital nomad for those who have not heard it yet. Cause it's, I think it's a newer phrase. It's quite uh, a smart phrase amongst the young set but the uh <laughs> <laughs> but the the older folks like me may not know what that means yeah that's true well I'm in my late 30s so um, I don't consider myself super young anymore although young at heart but to me it's actually been around since I started just because I've been in this for so long um but it was very new when I started and it was just emerging now I think it's a little more commonplace but essentially what it means is digital obviously means that you are working online everything can be done in the cloud you're accessing things like Google Drive and Gmail and Evernote and Asana and Dropbox so everything is digital there's no sort of on-the-ground um, related work, if that makes any sense. Or, of course, there can be. You can do events, workshops. You can have your own base. Um, but everything can be done online in the cloud. And then the nomad part is really for people who just want to have no base. So they're not bound to any location. Um, they're nomadic and that they can travel the world. They can do it on their own terms and really just sort of take the adventure and go on a journey and have that lifestyle from anywhere. So that's where Digital Nomad came from. And I agree, it's definitely a younger crowd of people who decided to maybe after university go and do their own thing. A lot of people head up to Southeast Asia or South America where it's a little cheaper to live, where the internet is good, um, where there's a lot of other people just backpacking around or enjoying themselves and at the same time creating businesses that they can run from their laptop. And I think this speaks to the heart of business in the future. So many of us were raised with the thought that, you know, we, we go to school, we graduate from high school, we go on to university, we pick a profession, and that's it. And that model is really quite a dying breed of... Uh, yes, of, thank goodness. Of, uh, thank goodness, right? <laughs> And this doesn't mean that the skills, you know, that the that the the discipline itself is dying because these individual disciplines, you know, law, medicine, and you know, on and on and on, and business will still go on and be perpetuated. It's the the way that the the product is dispensed is changing. Absolutely, and you know, I'm not trying to say for anybody who has a job that they love. I love 
that when that happens. But I just hear too many people feeling very trapped by the nine to five that they've got into, that the work is not fulfilling, that it wasn't what it, um, you know, what they set out to do when they left university or college. And that's more what I'm frustrated about for those people, that there's just been this traditional path set up that everybody feels they can't deviate from, which is so not true. We have more accessibility and opportunities than ever thanks to all these fantastic digital online companies, tools and technologies. And you know, I have a few people in my community like one who actually is a nurse and what she's done is teaching other nurses how to set up their own kind of freelance business because there's lots of contracts around the world for nurses. They often get paid more, they have more flexibility of hours. So she is a nurse that's teaching people how to be its bossy nurse is her website and I love it. Oh, hilarious. No, this this is fabulous. And in, in terms of telehealth, I mean, this field is becoming wide open too. it used to be that a doctor would would practice and consult with his or her patients only in the office. And now we are seeing these viable medical practices where um, consults and diagnoses can be made via a, a, a video conference, a video meeting. Exactly. And um, then the the doctor can then refer, if, if the client is traveling, refer the client out for services elsewhere. So the world is changing. And this is what I believe is, is so exciting about what you do, what you t- teach and support, and the model that you're living. Absolutely. And you've, you've nailed it on the head there. I mean, there's just more and more opportunities, as I said, for us to be able to work remotely doing jobs that traditionally had to be in one place. And that's what's so exciting about it. And let me just share too with our listeners and the community that it, Harvesting Happiness is a model of this. We have the radio show, which our producers are based, Toginet is based in Texas. Our supporting producers uh, at KBU are in Malibu, California. The public radio exchange is based in Boston. Our um, social media support team is in South America. The editors that work on my creative writing work are based based in Canada. I mean, it's really a global team. It's amazing. (laughs) It's really amazing. And the clients that I coach privately are based all around the country and overseas. And it's just, you know, it's, it's schedule dependent. It's not dependent upon having a place or an office. And this is what I'm so excited to share, you know, that we can um, create a life of meaning, a prosperous life, doing what we love and not being constricted by an, uh, an office or what anybody else has to say about it for that matter yeah and for those people listening who are like well I don't know if that can be me I mean I was recently featured on 60 Minutes New Zealand and one great thing that came out of that interview was just showing people that yes this is not for everybody we are going to need to take a break and I want to give our guests I want to give our guests I want to give our listeners the opportunity to check out Natalie Sisson's work you can find her at the at suitcaseentrepreneur.com once again the website is suitcaseentrepreneur.com and on Twitter, that handle is at Natalie Sisson. And let me spell that for you. It's S-I-S-S-O-N. And on Facebook, that page is Suitcase Entrepreneur. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Here come the tunes. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen 
author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question, what makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are having a, really a very exciting conversation about what it means to live a digitally, digitally nomadic entrepreneurial life. And what we mean by that is taking your laptop, your smartphone on the road with your business in it and not being bound to a conventional office. And with me in the studio today is Natalie Sisson. Actually, she's coming to us from Wellington, New Zealand. She is an expert in this arena and we have chased her down for months and are lucky to have harnessed her for a few minutes to talk about the suitcase entrepreneur lifestyle. Natalie, tell us a little bit about what that suitcase lifestyle really looks like. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating to a lot of people because at the end of the day, it involves having very little stuff and I think focusing on experiences over stuff. So I have lived out of my suitcase full time for five and a half years and literally have everything that I need in a, a medium sized suitcase. People are often quite surprised that it's smaller than they think. And I think over the years, I've just become very good at knowing the essentials that you need because when you're traveling the world, you can pretty much buy anything you need if you absolutely do um, require it at the destination you're going to be. So at the end of the day, it comes down to um, having clothes that you feel comfortable in that can work for you in business situations, um, in travel situations, and sports situations, which is pretty much sums up my life, and really just getting very minimal about what you really do need. Um, it also means packing up your 
life mentally. And I think for a lot of people, that's the difficult transition is how do you um, build a life on the road and mentally be prepared for that, be prepared for change, for different cultures, for things maybe not going your way, for new experiences, for missed planes, uh, trains that are running late, just things that you can't control in your everyday environment when you are staying in one place. And I actually think that's the exciting thing about it that makes life more beautiful because you have to adapt and you have to be flexible and you have to be good at dealing with change and if you are all sorts of cool opportunities can come out of it agreed and and i want to just add that the science of happiness positive psychology research supports what you're sharing in that when we travel what we love so much about travel is it places us in a position of curiosity wonder and delight. We're open. Our minds mm-hmm. become more open to new experiences. And that creates a sense of uplifted emotion. Absolutely. And beautifully put. And I agree, actually. I also think after all these years of traveling that there's a point at which if you're not feeling that as much or if you've been traveling full time for a long time, it's actually lovely to stick around and stay in one place and open your eyes to all the nuances that are going on in that city, that village, um, that destination that you wouldn't have seen if you were passing through or were just, you know, a visitor. So I think there's flip sides to both, and both of them are quite amazing once you experience them. But I love the way you've talked about that positive psychology that comes from it. And I often find when I come back home or I I stick around in a place for a while that I have very much an open-eyed perspective on the world that other people don't necessarily share because they're very much caught up in their day-to-day lives. So I think everybody should do more travel, actually, just for that very reason. And I think this is something that people who live in your neck of the woods, Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, because it is so far from other parts of the world that your culture has breeds a continent of travelers. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I don't feel that far away from everything. I feel like we're on top of the world and everybody else is far away from us. But I think (laughs) think you're right. (laughs) A lot of people do go, gosh, you know, Europe's a 24 hour flight away. And, you know, the US is actually it's become a lot less these days, but it's at least sort of 10 to 12 hours to get to LA, for example, from Auckland, New Zealand. Um, And I think, yeah, there's just so much to explore as well. I adore Southeast Asia. It's fascinating. It's totally different. The languages are incredible. It's a totally unique culture. And yet it's not that far away, um, same as South Pacific. So uh, I absolutely agree. We probably are bigger travelers for that very reason. And you don't think twice, in, in my experience, of, of going for a week or a long weekend, It's which is very different from in the States. Oh, if people are going to go to Australia or New Zealand, they are going to go for a good amount of time, several weeks, because it's so far away. I get that, though. You know, you've got to spend some time in paradise. It would be a shame to come all the way out here for a week. You wouldn't even be able to really capture just everything that's at your your fingertips here. But I agree, going over to Asia for a week or something still seems like a little far away, but it's much more doable. And Australia is just a hop, skip and a jump, as they say. It's a quick two-hour flight away. You've recently returned to your country of origin. You've been on the road for five years straight. You've come Mm -hmm. back to New Zealand. What does this lifestyle look like to you now? Uh, Well, it's still a ton of fun and it's like a new adventure for me. So I came back because my father was actually ill and I was really grateful for the fact that my business allowed me to just drop everything. I was in Portugal at the time and come back to be here with family. And I kind of ignored my business 
you know, energy-wise um, and focus-wise for a good few months while that was happening and felt very, very grateful that it was still running, my team was helping me, and that everything that I'd set up over the last five years was in place. And I've recently bought a beautiful apartment in the heart of Wellington, so I'm right in the heart of the city. I get to walk to everything, and it's a little bit like discovering a new country because I have not lived here for 11 years. And I call it my freedom headquarters uh, and I've really kept to a minimal space still, so I still don't want to buy stuff. I've obviously had to set up an apartment, but that's been quite fun as well, just to see what that feels like to have more stuff, but keep it minimal, keep it clean, keep the space, because that's really important to me. And I think it's actually rather lovely to finally have my own space to focus on and see how I would set up a place compared to what I've seen over all the years of um, traveling with others, living with other people, renting, house-sitting, just how I still don't want clutter in my life and that fewer things um, is really the way to go in terms of my happiness and my freeness here. So it's a whole new experience, but it's a really fun adventure. And so Freedom Headquarters, Freedom Central, is a flat <laughs> in, in, in downtown Wellington um, mm-hmm. with minimal amounts of stuff, maximum mm-hmm. amounts of uh, creativity, Exactly, and, and, and light and, and space. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what are your plans for the coming year? What, what, what's next for well, you? I'm actually really excited to, I do have much travel in 2016, however, less of it at such a crazy, frantic pace. Um, often my travels are based around events, speaking, conferences, and a big portion of next year is playing at the World Championship Ultimate Frisbee Games in London, England. Um, So I'm training for that. And my business is going to change only a little in that it's still all online, but I actually want to build up a community here of freedom fighters in, in and around New Zealand and have VIP days at my house where I'm masterminding with people, which I've never been able to do before. I, I run mastermind retreats around the world, like I have one in Bali next year and one in Portugal. But to be able to bring people to my home and work on their freedom mindset and their business is something that really excites me to be able to invite them into my freedom headquarters and do that. So that's <laughs> going to be a totally different thing. Indeed, but it, it, almost a natural progression. You know that here you Absolutely. are, you've, you've gone off in the world, you've had adventures, um, you're still a young woman, but yet the idea of homesteading and creating a base or a nest or a crib of one's own, depending upon how you look <laughs> at it. <laughs> The crib, yes. The crib, come on. <laughs> it, it's, it, it is part of the evolution, right? We want to have roots in some way, and the sightless aspect is um, exciting, and it's, it's evergreen, actually, but yet it's nice to have a place to come back to. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very appealing, actually, and I can see it more now after my wanderlust has been firmly established and I think, you know, very much fed that I'm really excited about having a base, which seems probably odd to other people. And um, and I'm just really excited about the freedom that comes with that, being closer to friends, being closer to family, being able to develop those relationships. Because one thing when you're on the road all the time that um, you know people can suffer from is just really creating those long-lasting friendships and relationships by putting in the quality time with them. So it's a whole it's a whole new chapter, and I can see the benefit from both ways of living. But definitely still traveling. Well, I wish you the best with this, and I hope you'll come back and share more of the journey as it evolves, because you are 
touching upon the pulse of what the world needs now in terms of creating more happiness, well-being for the individual, which in turn, when we do work like this from a joyful, heartfelt place, we go out into the world and affect others and inspire others to do the same. And that is the power of what you are doing. Um, and I want to thank you for being with us. To learn more about Natalie Sisson, please visit thesuitcaseentrepreneur.com. Once again, that's thesuitcaseentrepreneur.com. On Twitter, you can find her at Natalie Sisson. Let me spell that for you. It is S-I-S-S-O-N. And on Facebook, that handle is, or that page is, The Suitcase Entrepreneur. And if you were to share with us, Natalie, a couple quick pearls of wisdom for somebody who's wondering how to dip into this world, what would you recommend that they do? Well, rather cheekily, I would love for them to check out my blog and even my book because I feel like I wrote the definitive Bible for anybody who's wanting to become a suitcase entrepreneur. Uh, But ultimately, I would get them to really question what lifestyle they would love, like really have a very clear vision for how they'd love to wake wake up in the morning and spend their entire day. Because the minute I get people to do that exercise, it's called the perfect day exercise. I think they start to see for themselves that maybe they're not living the right life right now. Maybe they don't want to be commuting anymore or working for somebody else. Maybe they want to be spending more time with their family or adventuring or spending time going out and playing sports and having a business that supports that. So once people get clear on that, then I think they get clear on whether they're a good fit for suitcase entrepreneur lifestyle or being a digital nomad or just being location independent and free. Beautifully said. So you can reach out to Natalie directly. Check out her website. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing guest, Natalie Sisson and Amit Kumar wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.